1: Uh, we, we're really getting a lot out of working with the new songs from the Consolers record. Oh, and it just went gold in the, in Britain so oh, thank nice. you very much. Take it with you out the
0: door. See if I cry. See if
1: the Rack and Tours were recently nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Rock Album for their latest release, Consolers of the Lonely. No
0: it has been on wasted worried
1: years. Oh man, it was like the ultimate, kind of, a, you know, it sounds savvy, but a dream come true for me. I, you know, I never really wanted to be solo. You and I It's been that way too long. know, we all live in the same town now, which wasn't the case in the first album, so I'm sure there'll be some more things cropping up. When it starts, there's so many ways to act. Do you, have you got a third album planned? I think I think so. We we have songs we didn't even get to when we recorded, and you know we all have other bands as well too. But
2: mm-hmm. uh... Paul, Paul, oh, I'm so scared. James, it's okay. It's Paul. <laughs> oh, there's no one's no one's around. It's okay. Everything's gonna be fine. You're the only, you're the last one. <laughs> I'm telling you, big groups of people are completely overrated. <laughs> yeah, but. I'll walk into a grocery store, the employees get up and leave. <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. When I wait. went to the hospital the, the doctor left and then the nurse left. So what you're telling me is that you've been going to different places and people have been purposefully leaving the area when you walk when you walk up. I don't think it's a smell thing. The trash men, they drive away from me. They won't pick up my yeah, trash anymore. Yeah. I mean I was gonna say it could be your IBS it's gonna be okay we'll get through this I'm just so lonely this is a weird one <laughs> this is this, do we want to not do this <laughs> we don't have to do the IBS thing <laughs> whoa boy oh what's what's that looking over there over the horizon Brendan Brendan, gallop over here. <laughs> clop, 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 clop. Those are where the sound effects would come in, Brendan. <laughs> now I want you to look over there upon that horizon. You all right? Uh, is that you, Brendan? Oh, boys, all right. All uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's looking mighty different over there, wouldn't you say? Yep. Hand me that water jug, will you? Hey, Jack. Uh, Jack Lawrence, that is. Th- Hand me that water jug. Alright, I'll take this water jug in. What is in this? That would be urine. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you put urine in the water jug? <laughs> you done poisoned the water hole. That's because you grabbed the urine jug. Okay, now listen here. Now look at, I want you to look at that horizon over there. hmm. Oh, you're looking that way. Let me turn around. Let me see. Your sp- let me see your boot. Take off your boot. You Give me your boot. <laughs> Here you go. Now I want you to look through your spur at the horizon. You see how it switched? Well, time well, to be moving on. Time. To- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not old enough to get it. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the Third Men podcast. Hold up. <laughs> Some of that will be reasonable, <laughs> I think. Pull this blanket, Paul. Now, yes, uh, welcome to the Third Man Podcast. This has been bad, and we're sorry, but this is your Jack White History Podcast, and I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. And I'm your other co-host, Paul Kaminsky, and James, we have gone through many an album as connected to Jack White over the course of this podcast, but we've only gone over one and Tour's album, and today I'm very, very excited because we're about to get... To a very special number two. <laughs> <laughs> we just keep bringing it right back there. Yeah, Paul, it's my favorite album uh, of Jack White's albums. Really? It is. Really? Consolers, yeah, Consolers and Icky are my two two go-tos. Wow. And this one, I think, beats it out just slightly. It is the year after it's the 11th anniversary. We missed the tenure. We're a little late to yeah. that game. But uh, I'm it. so excited. So excited to finally be getting to this album analysis and review. We're doing Consolers of the Lonely. It's great. And I'm learning a bunch, Paul. And I can't wait to tell you all about it. Yeah, it's the Rack and Tour's sophomore release. It came out in 2008. I remember at the time being kind of, I don't know, lukewarm isn't really the right word. But there were songs I loved on this album. And there were songs that I just couldn't get into because I was expecting that sort of kinks-ish, that, that kinky... <laughs> <laughs> the kinky sound, that real kinky sound of that first record, the more power poppy first record, mm-hmm. Broken Boy Soldiers, as opposed to this more like acoustic country sort of thing going on in Consolers. I think I have grown to appreciate it more over the years, and I do come back to this one a bunch. And plus, it has my wife's favorite Jack song on it. And it's not even a Jack song; it's more Brendan, which is Many Shades of Black. So I think this one had some, still had that crossover appeal. Mm. Of the first one, but maybe a a little tougher nut to crack than something like Steady As She Goes, which is such a power pop anthem agreed it took me quite a few listens to come to the realization that i love this album as much as i do first time i listened to it it was not my favorite and one of my least favorite yeah but i've grown accustomed to it and like you said it's not it's not where jack was at before in in the first album he had evolved his sound a little bit since then and one could say this shows the many shades of jack paul Hey! hey. <laughs> but seriously it shows another part of him and you know it's it's a a more realized album a more grown album than his last one yeah agreed james i'm really excited to get in and learn some more about this one because it's kind of a blind spot for me in terms of history but before we get to all of that james paul is there something we should stop doing? No. Which did you have? Do you? Is there something we should start smelling? No. Is there something that feels a little squishy, like pancake batter? We should be having something for breakfast, James. Oh.
1: I'll show you how to express your opinion in English.
2: a cup of coffee, and whip these up for brunch this weekend. James, would you like to tell the people what pancake batter is? I would love to, Paul. This is the segment of the show when listeners and viewers, sure, we'll go with viewers, write in and tell us uh, an opinion they might have on some of the stuff we've been talking about. And they write it in, and we're telling you here in this segment. Yeah, and so this one comes courtesy of episode 91, Cover to Cover. We put out the call across all our social media channels and in all the Jack White fan groups on... Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that, and we asked people what they would like to hear Jack cover. Now, James, in that episode, I know you sampled the game show group, some of our regular listeners to the show, but we've got a couple different ones here that I thought contributed some interesting uh, suggestions to that mix. If you're not familiar, Cover to Cover was the episode where James and I talked all about the various covers Jack White's done over the years, and then we picked sort of our dream team covers for what we would like him to do Mm -hmm. in our Wildest fantasies. (laughs) So there's a couple on here. I'm just going to go through here. There's some interesting ones here. So we got – well, I picked uh, Hey, Hey, What Can I Do as one of my auxiliary – picks we actually had somebody else pick that same one jamie kelly in the uh, jack white fan group uh, picked that same one and we also heard from michael lawrence who suggested whole lot of love which would be very cool for jack to do yeah zeppelin has a place obviously in jack's heart as we discussed he did that spotify playlist of of led zeppelin tunes and he's also covered the lemon song many times on tour so yeah whole lot of love makes a whole lot of sense if you ask me (laughs) many shades of jack am i right very very good we also have uncontrollable urge by devo and that was suggested by nicholas mcculley jr and i i really like that one because devo really fits into that boarding house reach kind of aesthetic you know yeah i was just gonna say the devo b52s even to an extent although i don't think i could ever hear jack white doing those those notes, but i would I would pay a hefty sum to hear you know what instead of this ten year anniversary thing, I would rather Jack White get on stage, sing rock lobster, get off stage, and I would pay to see that <laughs> well, that's insane, James. Um, but I think we're in the middle of like a new a newer new wave right now in terms of just where. Rockers are at A lot of the music From bands and acts That we really love Are leaning more Toward that electronica That sort of synthy New wavy kind of sound These days mm-hmm. And that's sort of Been with Jack For a long time Really since he was a kid I mean as, as we played In the cover to cover episode They covered Blondie One way or another mm-hmm. Which you know, some people Put Blondie in a punk category but i think she's really more like new wave yeah you know i think uh, the 80s had more of an influence on jack than than sometimes we give that decade credits for you know what i mean Mm -hmm. we also heard from deanna self who wrote i always thought he'd do an amazing hold on by alabama shakes now that's a good suggestion that's a really good suggestion Uh, we also have jimmy oh i'm gonna mispronounce this judge jimmy judge it's pronounced eat world paul yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Jimmy Judge, I think, DZEJ, suggested Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix, which is a great suggestion. Mm. And then just a handful of others here. We have another Zeppelin suggestion from Darissa Lopez Holiday, What Is and What Should Never Be. We have uh, another Zeppelin suggestion from Anthony Tran, Heartbreaker, mm. which would also be wonderful. Deborah Spegnato suggested Judith by Perfect Circle. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also hear mm-hmm. from uh Katerina Shoemaker who says Custard Pie by Led Zeppelin. And a lot of Led Zeppelin here. We have Leah Dolly Davies who says when the levee breaks, yeah boy, they're leaning into the Zep here. I mean, we we also asked what people's favorite cover songs were on Twitter and we got a lot of Zeppelin. A lot of Lemon song was was people's favorite. Yeah. So it, it makes sense. Uh along with that we got a lot of bang bang jolene a lot of jolene a lot of people seem to really love that song i do too i think it's great i think jack does a great version of it kcpkc2 or casey on twitter said the christian life which (laughs) we appreciate you we see you casey and we know what you're doing Thelma Smith on Facebook said something, anything by Bruce Springsteen. Great. I wish he would do, uh, my suggestion back to Thelma was Darkness on the Edge of Town. I think Jack White would do an amazing Darkness on the Edge of Town. Yeah. That would be really good. Yeah, or just the E Street Shuffle. He could get down to anything on that album. Be great. Mm-hmm. I know, I know uh, Melissa Swenka, one of our regular listeners Part of the Melistocracy says J.J. Uh, Kale's River Runs Deep We have Love Hurts joined by Margot Price Alright, sure Jerry Wilson Zeller suggests Chris Isaac's Wicked Game You know, I put, a, I put forth an Elliot Smith song Junk Bond Trader," But Chris Isaac is really the other piece to that you know sad 90s puzzle and so i i could see jack doing that stuff some justice we have uh, also from Jerry here she recommends Gary Jules Mad World and uh, another Led Zeppelin one No Quarter there's just so many here. We really appreciate Callie Joe Smith dropped us a line. This isn't a suggestion, but Callie Joe Smith just dropped us a line to say the Immortal Lee County Killers are like her new favorite band now. So I think we did a service with this episode, James. It was a great topic, and that's been some tasty breakfast that we've enjoyed. Yeah, it's like pancake batter, but better. Yeah. <music> James, what do you say we talk about Consolers of the Lonely? Paul, I'm so lonely. No one's around. Let's get to this album. That will make some sense depending on which intro you go with. Yeah, please pull this blanket off of me. Let's get to this album. James, tell me all about Consolers of the Lonely. Well, I will tell you as much as I can find out about Consolers of the Lonely.
1: All right, fair Uh, enough.
2: This album was released in March of 2008 under the Warner Brothers label, also had a pressing with XL Recordings. The album was dropped with a week's notice. Oh yeah, I, I think I remember that. This yeah. this was a surprise and tours album to most of the fans. They were acting like Beyonce or something. It, it was it wasn't unprecedented that that something like this would happen, but it was definitely bucking the norm. Yeah, I don't think Jack ever did anything like that. No, definitely not. And there's a lot of explanations for why this is a lot of official explanations for why this is, which I'll get into it. Some people do speculate that it possibly came about because of the DJ Electra thing. It happened kind of on the heels of the Icky Thump release on the radio, the premature
0: radio station
2: play by DJ Electra, where Jack would get kind of upset that they played an album without warning or consent. And so some people speculate that's why this came without warning, because this album dropped every single platform, every digital platform, vinyl, CD, all of it. Dropped on the same day a week after it was announced via a press release from Third Man, which is crazy. We, which we should say this is only a year removed from Mickey Thump, right. so that would have that would have been fresh on Jack's mind at the time. Right. Also, around this time, it's funny. I was looking up a group. One of my favorite groups called Metric, with a friend of friend of the show Ryan Brady of the Take It Away podcast. At, I prefer the imperial system. Thank you, <laughs> James deals purely in feet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I was just talking about this with a buddy of mine. So this album Metric, uh, <coughs> this album Metric put out called Fantasies, one of my absolute all-time favorite albums. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. Came out around this time and they bumped up their release schedule by 2 weeks because of preemptive uh, acquisition of the album by radio DJs mm. and stuff in their home of Toronto. So that is so funny. There was like a rash of this. Going on in that sort of latter day 2000s era of just, hey, digital's all new. People are flying digital tracks around and they're getting into the hands of these DJs and they're spoiling the album for people. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't explain why this particular time frame was a hub for it, but there you well, are. Well, it was probably had something to do with the fact that the internet was still a little Wild West. You know, LimeWire and FrostWire and all those things were still uh, like they had perfected music downloading at this point where it was super easy yes and radio stations it was becoming less and less of a thing but yeah i i think you're right you could make an argument that radio ha- has been trying to establish itself more these days almost based on the model of what digital music monetization was uh, or evolved into because right like around this time i was still getting my songs from limewire but you have itunes growing at Mm -hmm. this point you have the itunes model starting to be oh this is how we monetize digital (laughs) in a way like people were starting to understand that amazon music and all that stuff is starting to grow and pick up steam and and then the advent of spotify and in order for a radio station to remain kind of in the public eye and relevant and keep people's keep people interested getting their hands on a, a release of an album early would be a good way to get ears on your station. Absolutely. Uh, We should also mention uh, that this is, okay, so this is two years after the Tours debut album, Broken Boy Soldiers. The Tours, of course, Jack White, Brandon Benson, uh, Patrick Keeler, and Little Jack Lawrence, who uh, got together in the, Let's call it the slums of Detroit, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, aka Brendan Benson's Attic, and recorded a very spur of the moment first album, which became a very spur of the moment first tour. And so, this idea of a spur of the moment idea from the Rack and Tours has a lot of precedent. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anyone was really expecting A, another album from this band, or B, one so quick yeah. after their last effort, particularly because Brendan's in the studio. He's recording songs for his album at this time. He's recording My Old Familiar Friend. And you have, you know, Jack went back into the studio, did Icky Thump with The White Stripes. So eh, people may be not sure exactly what to expect. So this idea of it being very spontaneous and boom, burst out of the clear blue sky is, uh, you know, I think it's quite consistent with, in, especially in hindsight. Right. With the band. Some other people uh, theorized that it was not, in fact, anything to do with this radio thing. Although I, I highly suspect that had... A little to do with it. Uh, some people said that it was because they knew the album was bad because it kind of landed with no press and no expectation other than Broken Boy Soldiers. So people were expecting Broken Boy Soldiers, the sequel, and they got Empire Strikes yeah. Back. So. <laughs> do you, First of all, I was just watching, uh, sidebar, I was just watching Independence Day Resurgence thinking, did somebody in that meeting say this will be our Empire Strikes Back? (laughs) That's the first thing. The second thing is, yeah, uh, I guess if you were super paranoid, you could consider that. I mean, oftentimes, especially in the age of Rotten Tomatoes, there are these things called review embargoes on films where if a studio is feeling iffy on a film, They really make a solid attempt to withhold early reviews, not really so much anticipation, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what you're talking about. It sounds like the the theory here is that the raconteurs were perhaps trying to ebb away at some of that anticipation, which may be what ultimately made Boarding House Reach suffer because we had Three months of, like, this is coming, you know, so, like, maybe if Boarding House Reach dropped out of the clear blue sky, it would have been – so, anyway, I don't know. I guess I could believe both, but I don't think in my heart of hearts that Jack White or Brendan Benson thought that album was bad. No, definitely not. That's not something Jack White would ever do. I'll say this, though. It's certainly a – it's a shock to the system in terms of the genre difference. Yes. From the first album, yes. so uh, and I think we're spending a little too long on this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna move right to sure. um, <laughs> via the the third man press release when it when it was announced. Which, by the way, the album was ma- finished mastering and completed and handed off to them two days before this announcement. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very 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 lightning quick. Yeah. Via uh, the, the press release. With this release, the Rack and Tours are foregoing the usual months of lead time and press and radio setup, as well as foregoing the all important first week sales. We want to explore the idea of releasing an album everywhere at once and then marketing and promoting it thereafter. <laughs> the Rack and Tours would rather this release date not be defined by its first week sales, pre release promotion, uh-huh. or someone defining it for you before you get to hear it. Uh, okay. Yeah. okay. Press. Okay, so this. If. Okay. We learned in our Sea of Cowards an album analysis and review, that album was basically Jack screaming about the internet and how it's terrible. <laughs> yes. In very simplified terms. Yes. Uh, you know, sounds pretty consistent with this kind of thing, like railing against people who are talking about the work as opposed to the listener meant to experience it, I guess. Yeah. Via Interview Magazine, they, they touch on it a little bit. We cooked up the idea in the studio. What if we just skipped all the bull that surrounds a record release, Patrick Heeler said. The labels are really scared about how to do things right, and that usually results in a lot of pre-planned trickery, meaning releasing a record on a different format with bonus tracks or having the vinyl come out two weeks after the CD. We were like, just put everything out on the same day, and that was Jack White. Fair enough. So they, they wanted to put some mystery into it, as well as play with people's expectations. Again, via Interview Magazine and laying in on what you had said earlier, Paul. Now because everything is given to you in spades on your laptop immediately, YouTube, iTunes, blogs, bands, websites, and MySpace, you become disinterested very quickly and you've already got it all. (laughs) I'm happy he embraced it eventually. I'm happy he hired someone really good to run his social channels. Honestly, it's just a way to keep up with the times and using, like, for instance, Instagram, the way he has been doing with this latest Raconteurs album and the way he did with Boarding House Reach, it's just smart to try and to try and reach people. You could either rail against these new forms of technology or embrace them and wield them. Yeah. And I'm happy he has, in latter day especially, chosen to wield them. For an album like this, it makes sense. It's very old-fashioned in its aesthetic, and yeah. having things be mysterious and wacky and wild kind of fits in well with, with what they're going for. Little Jack said that right nowadays there's no mystery, there's no romance, and Jack uh, continues, <laughs> "You're you're almost constantly trying to tell people that there are these beautiful romantic things, that they are involved with artistry and the reception of it, and that there are ways you can participate in and share that. Ways that are tangible and emotional, you don't have to involve a gadget in your hand or something invisible like <laughs> digital music. I, I mean, this this album available digitally, and the, and that comes with the Warner Brothers touch. You yeah, know, I think I think Jack's positions may have evolved slightly over the years on that stuff. Maybe deep down he still wishes that he was being a little more punk rock like this about it. But especially as you say with this album, there is a tra- old timey traveling medicine show style quality to it and so yeah does the spontaneity feed that overall aesthetic sure you know and i think i could see why they would want to do it this way and i could also see like hey maybe all these things are right in their own way like maybe all these things were taken into account yeah to touch on the mystery thing a little bit, Brendan kind of chimes in saying that he likes to keep some of the mystery kind of about their lives and, and the album and stuff separate right now because he doesn't know if they've earned it yet. He says, the other day we were doing an interview for radio and one of the guys there went through the questions with us beforehand just to make sure they were all cool. And by the way, Paul, this is giving me flashes of if we ever get to interview anyone from the tours. Um, he had Tours. He had to take out things like what was the first car you ever bought? Which might very well be a question we might ask Paul, and that's what scared me. Uh, and I was like, what's up here? You want to break me down? You want to make me out to be a regular guy before I've even done anything? I don't think anybody wants a regular guy, said Brendan. I'm not sure I follow that train of thought. Is He's, he's saying, like, why do you want to get to know me? Or I think what? He brings up Picasso. He's like, I, I look up Picasso's everyday life because of what Picasso has done. I didn't care about it before he did anything great okay well you know he always wears his heart on his sleeve and all that stuff and he never had like the mystique around him that jack did i mean jack did that maybe this is this is him thinking jack's ideas on that kind of colorful mystique are good and maybe he's wishing that the raconteurs perhaps had more of what the White Stripes had initially presented in that way. Yeah, I think they're mostly touching on the the internet age of having to know every single little detail about a thing. I see. Well, which is why the White Stripes had the benefit of coming about, you know, the internet was obviously still a thing, Mm -hmm. but it was still growing and it was people were still figuring things out and all that. So I would say that there was way less on the internet about who the White Stripes actually were, you know, as opposed to... true. What it would have been like now, perhaps. Well, that's why we have this podcast (laughs) (laughs) to debunk it all, ruin Brendan's day, to bunk some more things (laughs) up. So that's how the album was released, and I think is a good way to to frame this album. It's a it's a surprise. It's weird off the beaten path certainly. certainly yeah so it was recorded in blackbird studios in nashville in tennessee which is not the first album we've ever had recorded there uh icky thump was also recorded at blackbird yes it was the first time that all of the tours were living in nashville proper they all moved from detroit and were living down there jack is getting asked well they're all getting asked an awful lot as to why they all moved down there they're basically saying well, if we're going to make this band work, we might as well all live near each other. Yeah. And the irony would be that they don't make a new record until, (laughs) what, this year? Yeah. So, like, 11 years later? Yeah. Well, Nashville was the hub for Jack, and he was establishing himself. I mean, a year later, we would be getting third-man records for real. Yeah, So, uh, it makes sense, you know, having them all sort of coalesce, because Detroit was the hub. Obviously, Little Jack and Keeler weren't Detroit natives, but... yeah they were around and so yeah it makes sense that there was a migration down there it also explains the sound but we'll get yeah. to that via interview magazine again in reference to blackbird studio brendan says it's a cool room great studio great gear jack chimes in both of these records icky thump and consolers uh were experiments for me because i always stayed away from the studio environment as much as possible but i, I just wanted to see if i could work in one way it's not easy just having an engineer's assistant around is enough for me to be uncomfortable with more than one person there in the room, it feels strange. He continues, the studio equipment is all geared to help, but to help you with what? Again, opportunity, I don't agree with it. I think it kills creativity being easier on yourself, and we've, we've, Harp to this point that he says all the time, but um, being easier on yourself is not a good idea. I like making things harder. A lot of fans of the Stripes and the Raconteurs say, oh, Jack always has guitar problems. Jack always has equipment problems. I wish they knew that I'm doing that on purpose. Yes, I could go and buy a brand new Les Paul or a brand new Marshall amp stack or a brand new St. Vincent guitar Um, (laughs) and just plug it in and everything's fine, but I don't want it to be that way. It's too easy. Brendan chimes in after that. You need a little resistance something to fight against I'm the same way about being in any studio I'm always afraid because I do most of my stuff at home where nobody bothers me and I don't have a have to stroke somebody's ego or be careful about hurting someone's feelings but I also want to know that I can still go out into the world and be with other people and make music. So that was Brendan there. Uh, yeah, Brendan really still carrying that big old chippo on his shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of his character. Uh, for, the more, for the more optimistic songwriter, he sure is, like, saltier about these things, you know? He's been around the block quite a bit, though. I mean, he's had probably the worst experience you could have in a studio yes, like possible. Yes, at this very time. <laughs> yeah. Actually, because I think he's in the studio with that. Oh, yeah. I think it was at this time because he was recording, my old familiar friend. Right. Gil Norton. Gil, no, our old buddy Gil. What? Oh, Gil. <laughs> oh, Gil's in a lot of trouble. <laughs> it was recorded between. It was recorded in 2007. So it was recorded while Icky Thump was going on. Yeah, this guy Gil really put Brendan in a spiral of depression over this album, my old familiar friend, because he had just you know gotten the biggest commercial break of his life with broken boy soldiers brendan and he was ready to just take off and you know do his thing because alternative to love was a big deal you know for him right before that so he was perhaps finally filled with a little bit of optimism after having been kind of dumped on for a long time by the music business and then suddenly he gets into the studio with old Gil. Oh, this is bad. This is
1: really bad. You're and you slave and you steal just enough for a sweet lick of that shiny brass ring. Don't I get a lick? Doesn't Gil get a lick?
2: Who really takes the piss right out of him. I like that you call him old Gil like the Simpsons character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I feel for Brendan here. The wolves at old Gil's door. Because he was just finally starting to turn it around yeah. for himself. Maybe that's why like, he was so keen to get back with the racks. He was just looking for a break, you know? It's possible. I don't know. I feel like he was done with music at that point, like the music industry at that point. So anything Jack told him would probably be, like, the most glamorous thing. It's just like, yes. Drop it in (laughs) two days? Yeah, okay. Let's do it. Do we have to tell Gil? No? All right, let's go. (laughs) Oh, you're keeping things (laughs) from old old Gil. Gil again. It was recorded on magnetic tape in February of 2008 and released a month later. So it was very, very quick turnaround time. We do know that the White Stripes had cut their tour in 2007 short. So Jack was just kind of sitting on his hands, maybe perhaps more than he might have. That's an oversimplification, obviously. But, there, you know, he was – Jack was primed and ready to go because nothing was going on with the White Stripes. And during this time, he was still in a record-a-year kind of, you know, more or less mindset. In fact, I think it was pretty much a record-a-year mm. from 2005 to 2009. Like, there's a record-a-year – for five years in a row. So he's keeping busy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll move on to the art and aesthetics of this. Uh, the name comes from a U.S., the Washington, D.C. post office wall on an inscription on the wall. Really? Yeah. It comes from a poem by uh, <laughs> by Charles W. Eliot, who was the cousin of T.S. Eliot, and ah, the, uh, he was the president of Harvard for, like, 40 years. He was, like, a well-known... <sighs> Inscription, oh, but- yes, he was a well-known inscription writer. Like he was known for writing inscriptions, which is <laughs> weird. Um, but it fits the aesthetic. He was he was like really prominent in the in the turn of the century, which this album kind of takes a lot of art direction from. But we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but the name comes from a poem that he wrote for the inscription on this post office wall. And I'll read you the poem carrier of news and knowledge instrument of trade and industry promoter of mutual acquaintance of peace and of goodwill among men and nations messenger of sympathy and love servant of parted friends consoler of the lonely bond bond of the scattered family and larger of the common life. Embiggining wow. the common man uh, no, Enlarger of the common life um, <laughs> So uh, you, We could go to DC And uh, and snap us a picture of, of this poem That uh, the album comes from uh, That br- is fascinating Brendan says yeah it's On the old post office in Washington DC It's from a poem called The Letter That's engraved on the wall Jack says we were looking for the phrase Neither snow nor rain nor heat Nor gloom of night I couldn't remember how it went Looked it up and instead found a gold mine of poetry <laughs> <laughs> And Brendan says, when we read the phrase Consoler of the Lonely, Jack and I looked at each other and were like, That's gorgeous. Wow, there we go. We should mention that this album may have seemed like it came out of nowhere, but we know that the racks were I guess a lot like the dead weather in some ways in that they were testing some they had a they had a little bit of a backlog of songs mm-hmm. and they had been testing some of those out on the prior tour yeah five on the five so, specifically and i'm sure like riffs and sound checks and things like that as we as we know the dead weather did so you know going back to you know so that them getting into the studio for this you'd imagine there was quite a bit of the beginnings of an album anyway already kind of in the can mm-hmm. you know much in the same way that whorehound really grew into two albums because there was so much material generated at the inception right of that album and we know that this album's tour would lead into the dead weather and all of that because of the Kills and stuff. Yeah. In fact, we, we learn a little bit more about Jack's relationship with Allison uh, through some of the interviews in this era. Apparently, he saw the Kills at Reading Festival. He mentions it in an inter- interview, and he saw them, like, years and years and years ago. The Kills were the last band that he ever went to go see, specifically. Huh. Uh, I mean, we talk about that on the Elephant Tour. Like they're on the bill with him at one of those festivals. It may have even been Reading. It was this Reading Festival that he's being interviewed at because they mentioned like. Huh. So uh, what's a memory you have? And Jack says, "Well, the memory I have is the last time I ever went to go see a band, which was The Kills." And then they get it confused with the Killers. And Jack's like, "No, <laughs> it's The Kills." And they're like, "Oh, they're <laughs> oh no, they're like oh they're playing today." And then Jack Lawrence just goes, "It's tomorrow," and everyone just gets really silent and goes. Yeah, I believe him. <laughs> oh, no. The artwork of this has a, a distinct turn of the century vibe, as we had mentioned, kind of the 19th century, specifically the 30s. It seems to be pulling from a lot of 1930s stuff. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the artwork as well as the, the music sounds like it is from a turn of the century kind of vibe. There's a lot of Western, a lot of bluegrass, a lot of folk, a lot of stuff that you'd hear a ramblin' man uh, going on about. Yeah. And, uh, which they which they are. I mean, ramblers and yeah. you know, that's and, and that's, raconteurs. That's babe, that's why they're called that. That's true. Except in Australia, Potashan. where they're called the Frogmen. Where my frog hits at. <laughs> but everything seems to be uh, a, like a story told from the past, and they're pulling from a lot of influences as well as trying to pay tribute to a lot of influences. It seems, um, and those influences harken back to uh, old timey roots where that rambling man aesthetic is really yeah brandy st john did all the wardrobe brandy st john who we will be talking to eventually yes on this uh very album analysis and review so so stay tuned for for that but uh yeah brandy st john went in and did all the wardrobe and we'll get into all that stuff with brandy but um yeah so jack is pulling from people that he's that he's worked with uh Right. In the past, uh, they had tin type photos as the cover and as little inserts and back covers and stuff. Um, the tin type being uh, a very turn of the century Civil War era almost kind of photography, and those were by Stephen Berkman. Yeah, Civil War. It's also like sideshow circus, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, Jack's the... got the uh, Jackson the, the Mad Scientist and Brendan Benson's bird calling and such, right? Which I, I have detailed analyses of those okay all right all right (laughs) um angela messina is credited with the set design tiffany steffens is credited with as hand model and devil's advocate whatever that means okay package design was rob (laughs) jones and patrick keeler just as an aside on the liner notes uh the very last thing you could read on there it just says no thank you uh just at the bottom just says no thank you (laughs) It's, oh no, I like no, thank you. Okay. That's not how I read it. <laughs> Yeah. The the cover shows the raconteurs on a parade of floats. Uh there's costumes in the back, there's marching folks in the back as well. And on the on the cover on the float that the raconteurs are appearing on, there's what appears to be the Famous portrait of George Washington with a rack rack and tours R over top of him. States are listed on the float. The states are Tennessee, Michigan, and Ohio, which are the three states that all of them are from. Well, sort of. They're Michigan and Ohio are where the the band members are from, and Tennessee is where they are recording and living currently. Right. And there are two taxidermy lions with rack and tour R's on them. Yes. At the front of the parade thing there. Uh, to, I wonder what room Jack keeps those in. I wanted to know more about these lions. In fact, I wanted the to know more about galley? a lot of these taxidermy animals because this, this album artwork is chock full of taxidermy animals. And I realize uh-huh. that I'm front-loading this this episode with with this art, but <laughs> there are so many taxidermy animals in this. The, is there a peacock on that? I forget. No, but... There is a skunk. Many, many birds. They're standing. The band is standing in front of a drumhead that says that reads "The Detroit, Michigan Sanitary Workers Band," which, um, (laughs) which I tried desperately to figure out what it was from. I couldn't find anything except an old newspaper clipping from a 1933 newspaper. Uh It's the only thing (laughs) I could find from the detroit tribune which was an african-american newspaper okay and uh it was from may 13th 1933 it mentions that a band uh, called the sanitary workers band of primarily african-americans uh, performed for a celebration uh, amongst other choral groups hmm. this band did exist and it was specifically in detroit michigan and it was in 1933 yeah. which was the exact right time for this aesthetic yeah the what, style, yeah. What are they referencing exactly? I don't know. I, I bet uh, you there's an old record or something that either Jack or Blackwell had lying I, around. Or... I would argue. I would argue they were looking through newspapers, newspaper clippings, and reading stuff, because that's not the only newspaper clipping I found uh, that has something to do with the album <laughs> cover. <laughs> Consider me titillated. <laughs> <laughs> Untitillate yourself. Um... <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Detitillating. De-titillating. <laughs> I just wanted it to be known that Charles Elliot, uh, the guy who came up with that inscription for with the Consolers of the Lonely thing mm-hmm. his story about writing that was that he went off into a boat into a lake with a very short pencil and a very small piece of paper. I'll read, I'll read you the quote from, from him. In 1911 at the close of a long day's work in North East Harbor Maine, Mr. Elliot went out on his boat in a company of two or three friends produced a scrap of paper and an infinitesimal pencil and began to write when he had finished he read aloud the original draft of the two inscriptions of the post office P- possibly he had meditated these inscriptions for some time but it appeared to those present like an inspiration of the moment in time they came unsigned to the notice of president woodrow wilson who made a few alterations and co-signed the inscriptions to the stone cutters. Only later did he learn the name of the author. Wow. That, that's a weird story I found. Wow. Is that a rag and that, bone? Maybe. That is that is really cool. Hey, Woodrow Wilson used to be my favorite president of the United States. Is it because he was buried the, in Princeton? <laughs> I think that was the real reason. And my my public reason was he was the founder of the League of Nations. But then it turns out he was a raging racist. Mm. So I've, I've evolved. My position has evolved on, on Woodrow Wilson. Still maybe the best name of any... First name of any president? Yeah. What else we got? Uh, Herbert. I want to say Boulevard. <laughs> is that trash? <laughs> <I> <laughs> <laughs> Boulevard Taft, the mutant hating president. <laughs> Boy, we're getting we're going to some weird places. This is okay. Not a, well, I'm right. interested. I'm I'm excited that this man went into this boat. Reed Um It's funny. This is turning out to be like still the most mysterious <laughs> album. I think like. Prepare to be mystified. If you look closely in the back, uh, it appears Vance Powell is following up the rear. Oh, Uh, our old buddy Vance. He's one of the last people on the cover, or he's on the back cover, or inside cover, uh, following up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you say say who these people are, and I I just missed it? I don't know who those people are. I want to know desperately who these people are. We know Vance Powell's on the back. Do you, do you remember when um, this album came out, James, and we were, we thought that because it was a CD that we couldn't really see it quite That clear, that was cleanly, Meg. And we thought it was Meg. We thought it was Meg. In the doorway. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely for a thousand percent not Meg, but... It's not Karen, I don't think, but... It does look a little like Karen, but I don't think it is. But we might not know who those people are, but we do know who plays on the album. We have Patrick Keeler credited as percussions and repercussions, brendan (laughs) brendan benson credited with sing string ring ding and dong (laughs) jack white the third credited with vocals frets stylophone pianos and vital organs (laughs) little jack lawrence credited with bass banjo and backup vocality (laughs) dean fertita is credited with playing clavinet on things that's that's just it Uh, i mean he might have he probably did and dirk powell fiddled about the Memphis Horns played their Memphis Horns on some songs. That's the quote from the <laughs> liner note. And that includes Wayne Jackson, Jack Hale, and Tom McGinley. Female vocals were the Flory Dory Girls, which is a reference to an R Gang Little Rascals short, in which the, the girls uh, of Our Gang have a choral group called the Flory Dory Girls. Ah. So yeah, this is Which the, is a nineteen thirties thing. Yeah, you mentioned Civil War earlier, but really this is more geared toward the thirties yeah, for sure. We also have David Swanson credited as frozen one forty Swanson on there on specifically on Top Yourself, but we'll we'll get to that in the track by track. We'll we'll talk about the tin types that came <laughs> with the album. The US version came with little cutout tin type. Photographs. They were of each band member in a specific situation. There was Patrick Keeler. The, yeah, he's got the biker thing. And I don't know what building that's in front of, but it's... I don't either. Pretty, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get... Unless those little things in the sky above him are UFOs. I thought it was a building. There's anyway. a thing. There's a couple of things above the building. Uh, he was a biker with a wreath of flowers. It's better than a wreath of Franklin. And, um, or, Jennifer, or Jennifer Flowers. <laughs> that was a bad joke on both of our parts. Yeah. See, that's it. Just goes to show you, not everyone's a born raconteur. Brandon Benson was an ornithologist, or he either that or he was bird watching, but he seemed to be recording audio of these taxidermy birds, and there were many a taxidermy bird. Yeah, he's got it looks like a, a stork in there, or some sort of crane. Yes, yeah, or a by heron, birds. perhaps. There's a, a heron. There's definitely roadrunners in there, they're there's all taxidermy. A, yeah, some roadrunners. Run, road he's got like a little listening fork. Which I assume is an old timey bird watching thing. And then he's also got a pair of binoculars. Mm. And uh, so that's fun yes. for everyone. Then we have Little Jack Lawrence, who is playing bass guitar, a modern day electric yeah. bass, in a prop boat on a stage. The boat is called the SS Manowar. Yeah. There is a taxidermy raccoon you'll notice on the uh, left hand I do notice that. Yeah, now, now, now. Mm-hmm. I, that looks like a sloth to me. I think that's a sloth. I'm seeing the little sloth, Paul. You Could see be. The little oh, paw oh, it around? is a sloth, Paul. You got me. That's a sloth. <laughs> there's a sloth there, and there's a little cutout. Yeah, there's cutouts of a lot of animals. There's some squirrels in there. A um, cutout of a squirrel. Yeah, a squirrel, or some sort of spider monkey, and then we have his Vox amp. Uh, so this is fun. So the SS Man of War, I had to look up, and I I learned that Man of War was given a name given to British Royal Navy ships. As an expression of, for a powerful warship or frigate from the 16th to the 19th century. So, in the right time period. Now, I also found a newspaper clipping from 1930s, same era as the, the other newspaper clipping, in which a, a specific racehorse. Ah, the Man War. Was called the Man War and was a, a derby winner. Um, Fascinating. I don't know. It could be. Pulls from that. It's the right time period. Everything's kind of syncing up to be that that era from 1890s to, like, yeah. 1930s. Anyway, we'll move on to Jack White, who has quite a lot going on in his picture. He's some kind of scientist or inventor. These look. These photographs are like if Wes Anderson f***ed Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's very twee, very yeah. quaint, and yet very dark and gloomy, and yeah, I get that. Yeah. Alright. Uh, so Moving Jack, on. So Jack White is some kind of scientist or inventor. There's human bones strewn about. He's wearing a rib shirt that, a uh, yes. rib vest that he would wear two tour dates. He would wear this on, on occasionally on tour. I thought I remembered that. And he's got the little skeletal pants here. Mm-hmm. Now, now can I say the name of the machine he's doodling on? Uh, you can, I wrote it down too. And I love it. It's a, it's a Jackintosh. A machine. Jackintosh three specifically. Yeah. A Jackintosh three. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> and he's surrounded here by skulls. And Paul, if you look over to the left-hand side, you'll see a tiny yeah. statue of... St. Rita. To the left, you said? Oh, yes! Ah, oh, in a place so seated. In a place so seated. Now, I'm not positive it's St. Rita. It's not the the Mother Mary. I double-checked to make sure it wasn't the statue that was on the Get Behind Me Satan back cover. But uh, the statue so of St. Rita looks very similar in a lot of the saints are depicted as nuns in habits, but this pose specifically and what she's carrying tends to look very similar to what St. Rita would be holding. Sure. Be he's with. got his, uh, he's got his Tours guitar... There on the gr- in the background, and a taxidermy skunk is there as well. Yeah, I'm seeing the skunk. Yeah, this is a cool one. I like this one. It's it's freaky, and you don't often see pictures of Jack in glasses. Yes, so. and then a, other taxidermy that was on the album. There's a a lot of dodo stuff. There's a dodo which appears with the switch in the spur lyrics, and then a dead dodo, right. a skeleton of the dodo uh, that says you shall never return on its uh, next to the skeleton. So right. The baby is asleep Oh good Well James Then perhaps
0: We should get to the Track
2: by track
0: Next episode
2: Oh maybe we should (laughs) Uh oh
0: James what do you say We
2: kick it to our Third person this week Yeah We'll get it to that Old track by track Next episode But for now (laughs) But for now We're gonna kick it To our third person for this week, Paul. It's the baby. <laughs> We'd like to welcome our third people for this week, our parents and yours. We have Beth and Wayne Kaminsky here. How are you guys doing? Hello. Okay.
0: Hey, James. Doing well.
2: <laughs> so we are talking this week about the Tours album, Consolers of the Lonely, in which the tours actually partnered with bluegrass singer and musician Ricky Skaggs, along with Ashley Monroe, who is a, a singer and songwriter in her own right. Is Ashley Monroe related to Bill Monroe? No. No, I I was curious about that, too. I looked into that and it doesn't seem that way, but I will dig some research and we'll uh, we'll do a stop breaking down if we need to correct that, but I don't believe so. But speaking of Bill Monroe, Ricky Skaggs, a, a contemporary of Bill Monroe's. Uh, I mean, a little bit younger, but at age six, Ricky Skaggs played with Bill Monroe. And the reason we're talking about Ricky Skaggs with, with both of you is that a couple of years ago, you both saw Ricky Skaggs perform in Florida. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that. Sounds great. Yeah. Did you know of Ricky Skaggs before you went to go see him? What was your preconceived notion of, of him?
1: Me personally, I did not know of him, although I knew that he uh, played with Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs, but Mom is actually the one who told me who he was, and I said, oh.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I had read that he was appearing at the Manatee County Fair, which... Uh, Manatee County is not too far from here. It was in Palmetto. And uh, it was funny, during the concert, Ricky Skagg seemed to really like the word palmetto. He would say it over and over <laughs> oh, again. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. but, but I just knew he was a legendary bluegrass player, and so I, I just jumped at the chance to go and see him.
1: And he was a 15-time Grammy winner, and he's part of the Country Music Hall of Fame. Yeah, in which he was inducted last year, which is interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. He's primarily a
2: mandolin player, right. uh, which kind of puts Paul McCartney to shame. Because <laughs> whenever I think mandolin, for some reason, I think of McCartney uh, doing... Dance Tonight? Uh, Dance Tonight.
1: Thank that's you. That's on a um, ukulele. Uh, sorry, it, That's James. a ukulele? That's not a mandolin? No, that was a ukulele. And a mandolin is a little bit different instrument. But he play, uh, Ricky played mandolin that evening at the fair. Uh-huh and he played it rather well and he did also play guitar for a little bit too but mostly mandolin he
2: So this was a, a, a county fair. Was he was he headlining the the fair?
0: Yeah, he was playing in um, this. It was like a kind of like a big tent like pavilion, and the place was full. You know, completely oh, uh, full packed. of yeah. people, and it was really cool because he had this great band. They were so tight. There was around seven or eight musicians on stage with him. So he did all these great old bluegrass numbers and. They were just all lined up. You would see, I don't know how many guitars there were, at least four guitars, a couple of banjos, the mandolin, and they would just play outrageously. It was really fun. We're
1: gonna try to entertain you for a a little while, and uh, hopefully you'll go away from here feeling better than you can. (laughs) Like you did something with yourself tonight.
0: Unplugged from that television. <laughs> Alright. Well this is my band Kentucky Thunder. Make them feel well, more. <clears throat>
1: as i found out that ricky had the band kentucky thunder with him and that was Mm -hmm. his tour that year from manatee county he went over to nashville and he had people that he uh, that i learned later on that he played with quite a bit such as a fiddle player named mike barnett Mm -hmm. who was fantastic he would do solos all evening which i thought were just awesome and i'm not a big fiddle player uh, or mm-hmm. a fiddle fan, shall I say But yeah, he he was great I think they
2: like to be called fiddle faddles Yeah,
1: the, there's a... <laughs> Never mind <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean it, it, it was a really, really good Bluegrass, or For lack of a better word More like, oh, when I was a kid Oh, I can't even think of the name Like train music, we used to call it Not that I lived on uh, a train like,
2: like the hit band <laughs> Train from the 1990s <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yes, just like that
2: they played "Meet Virginia," a very popular radio play song.
1: Just like that. No, they were more like jug music. What, what would you call okay. it? Skiffle, I guess, in British terms.
2: Yeah, the Liverpudlian version of it. <laughs> yeah,
0: and what what struck me was how relaxed and kind Ricky Skaggs was on stage. He he was just thrilled to be at a county fair in Florida and was so. He was just so personable. He told stories about when he met Ralph Stanley and the other Stanley brother. I can't remember his name, but they were also legendary bluegrass pioneers along with the Monroes. And so he talked about that. He talked about his relatives. He talked about all the times he had toured in Florida and around South, and he was just... Just really fun to listen to. He 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 could spin a good yarn. Nice,
2: yeah. He's he's known for for being pretty personable. He's definitely known for having a lot of a lot of guest stars. He he's prone to guest starring on things. Uh, I know, Dad. You mentioned Lester Flat. Uh, he played with Jack White. Actually, saw him play uh, with Lester Flat, and that's what actually inspired Jack to call up Ricky and and have him join on this track. Uh, old enough.
1: And and if any of you out there don't know who Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs are, just Google the Beverly Hillbillies and listen to the opening song and you'll hear a banjo and a guitar or you can listen to an old show an old TV show called Petticoat Junction where they actually do a little picking Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs on that show. Oh nice. Common riders the- so what was
2: what was the crowd like when you were there? Was it a definite bluegrass crowd? Was it big, small? Was it old folks in beards playing banjos? Who, who was there?
0: Well, it was mixed. It was a family crowd because it was a county fair. So I would say probably 30% senior citizens, probably 30% families, and then another 30% of, of younger people.
2: Would you guys consider yourselves uh, bluegrass fans? Do you, Have you followed anybody in that circuit aside from Mr. Skaggs?
0: I've always loved it, but I can't say that I've, you know, followed anyone on the circuit.
1: Me, personally, I have never followed bluegrass, although I did like that type of music. As I'm mentioning before, the skiffle sound or train music of Lonnie Donegan. And I did always like Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs. And... There's a band that I really can't remember their name. They came out in the early 90s. They tried to revive Bluegrass, and I just can't remember their name, but they were really good. So Bluegrass is a favorite of ours. Mm-hmm. It's music you could move to.
2: Yeah, for sure. I know Ariel and I had gone to a Bluegrass concert, uh, Lily May Rishi, uh, who, who primarily plays Bluegrass, and that's one of the the main things i remember is dancing to that music because it's so such a danceable type of music even the saddest stuff can be just so incredibly uh, i don't know the beat is infectious
0: yeah yeah we had some great times in virginia we went to this club in alexandria a couple of times that had bluegrass bands and it was just so fun i mean the whole place was jumping everyone was just having a great time and yeah it's just fun music
1: yeah foggy mountain boys uh that type of music it's Great. Agreed. Mom, you said you went to a couple bluegrass
2: clubs. Did you guys don cowboy boots and whatnot?
0: Nothing like that, but we did try to downplay our New Jersey accents.
2: (laughs) It's tough when you're walking over here. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's more New York, but whatever. Forget about it. The song Old Enough that, that we've been referencing, The Tours weaves into another popular folk slash bluegrass tune called Wake Up Little Susie that uh, Ricky Skaggs had actually guest starred on in the past with Jimmy Fortune. I don't know if any of you are familiar with him. Or the song "Wake Up, Little Susie." Uh, you might be more familiar with the Everly Brothers' cover of the song "Wake Up, Little Susie." Phil
1: and Don Everly,
2: yes. But yeah, the the song weaves into that. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting take on the song, and uh, I would recommend giving it a listen if you're a Ricky Skaggs or bluegrass fan. It's a it's an interesting rack bluegrass bluegrassy version of of that song. Are there any are there any last thoughts about when you guys want to see him?
1: No. Although in thinking about it. And speaking with you, I did see a band that is kind of considered bluegrass back in the 70s, which was the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I actually seen them in Central Park with uh, Commander Cody and the new riders of the Purple Sage. It was like a triple bill. So I guess the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band at that time was what? I guess, is considered bluegrass. They did an, a version that was very popular at the time, Mr. Bojangles, which was an old song. I don't know, just thinking about various things that happened in places that and people that we've seen in the past.
0: Right. Yeah, I had a question, the Cold Mountain soundtrack. Did mm-hmm. that have bluegrass in it?
2: It did. In fact, Jack White played mandolin on that quite a bit. So it was definitely more of a folk vibe to it, but it had Christmas Time Will Soon Be Over, which is... A folk tune, but it kind of dabbles in the world of bluegrass. It's got the same kind of instrumentation that you, you'd find. It's got some Allison Krauss on there, who who is definitely more of a bluegrassy kind of tone. Yeah, it's it's, it's American folk, which does turn into bluegrass. I completely neglected to to look at I don't know, Ricky Skaggs being a mandolin player. Kind of does sound a lot like the stuff Jack White does on Cold Mountain, especially on uh, Wayfaring what? Stranger and Christmas Time Will Soon Be Over sitting on top of the world that kind of stuff
1: mm-hmm. um, well yeah bill, bill monroe i don't know if you remember this james but mom and i when we went to nashville we were going to go to the grand old opry because bill monroe at that time was playing and that was one of our big regrets of not seeing him really because he was a legend or is a legend wow
2: I had no idea. This trip apparently involved a lot of musical icons. Um, yeah. <laughs> including Loretta Lynn.
0: Yeah, visited Loretta Lynn's ranch. We had the wonderful encounter with Carl Perkins' son-in-law and and
1: Carl Perkins' house.
0: Yeah. yeah. And Yeah, so Bill Monroe was playing and we just we just couldn't do it because we happened to have two small children with us at the time and it just didn't work out. <laughs>
2: well, uh, that's a that's a good note to leave us here. Thank you guys for coming on, uh, especially on such short notice. <laughs>
0: yeah, Foggy Mountain Breakdown. <laughs> yeah. yeah, always happy to talk to you, James. Thanks. And Paul.
2: Uh, well, it was lovely having you guys on, and Paul will be back in a second. And uh, yeah, let's get back to the show. Thanks, guys. Bye.
0: Okay, bye. Bye.
2: Oh, James, we learned so much about Consolers of the Lonely today. I've lost everyone. You consoled me, and now I have new friends, Paul. It's those of you out there listening. Indeed. Of course, we didn't finish our discussion. We will be back in two weeks. We will be back with part two, where we will go over more of the album and get to what we missed here. Yeah, just uh, there is so much information that we couldn't cram it all into one. Uh, so we are having a... Uh, I can't think of a pun off the top of my head. We're having a... Well, this is interesting writ- to watch. <laughs> it's, uh... <laughs> hmm. Paul, because of that, uh, this has been my solution, and I see you saluting it over there. Uh, Jeez, so, Christ. I just want to say, you do understand me, and uh, uh-huh. we'll get to part two later on. Well, speaking of salutations, James, let's... Why don't we salute some of our regular listeners to the show? I'd like to shout out a couple here. We got Ben, the Beerman Blues Carnes. Thank you, Ben. Of course, Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. We would like to uh, thank Melissa Swenka or part of the Melistocracy for waiting very patiently to figure out how we arrived at her weird nickname. Yes. <laughs> we kept you waiting there, I think, for like a month. So sorry yeah yeah sorry about that and yeah we'll also thank uh why don't we thank brian Walt to be nicer to me that's a nice one to throw in there that is a nice one to throw in there paul and now that we have your attention i am jesus <laughs> i'm gonna top your self please with some new please with don't some, with some new shout outs uh people who have been talking with us uh we've had a lot of a lot of good feedback the past few weeks, thanks to our, our last few episodes. So, we'd like to give a, a couple shout outs to some new listeners, people talking about this on Facebook and Twitter, specifically WA Shane on Twitter. Uh, I think we've shouted you out before, but thank you. I think we have to add Shane oh. Ben Jamson, is that? I think we have to add Shane to our regular listeners. I think at by this point, Shane has earned that. Strange esteem that we bestow upon a select group of people mm. who tolerate us on the internet. The Ben Jam Session himself. The Ben Jam Session. So I'm writing it okay. down because I don't think we're going to come up with a better one. I don't think we're capable of coming up with a better one. Um, the Shane boy you've always known. The Shane boy you've always known. is pretty good. Like we have a speech impediment. <laughs> I feel great, Shane, for this conversation. <laughs> Moving on. We'd also like to thank, uh, we, we talked about him in the Pancake Batter segment earlier, but Casey, or at CaseyPKC2 Casey on Twitter, uh, you've been talking to us, with us a lot. Uh, thank you, Casey. We have Kent Green on Twitter, or at KentGreen6. Thank you so much. Peppermint Swirls, back at it again, or at Eric Rottagzik. Yep, that we, one, that's yeah. the one. That's how you say that. Thank you, Dimfna on Twitter. Laura S. Carrie Johnson, T Gonger at Tracy Gongwan. I used to know more on Twitter or at Mitch Brian McCoy. There's just so many people who have been interacting with us and talking with us and we we really appreciate it and if you'd like to be one of those people james that's easy you could just find us on facebook at facebook.com thirdmen third men you can go to twitter at third cast you could go to our tumblr page that's third men lots of new tumblr follows and likes and such this past couple weeks that was really cool you guys thank you for that our homepage is the where you can find all of our shows and listen to them there. If you if you don't listen to podcasts traditionally, you know, you could listen to them there. They are all on that website. And you can send us an email, thirdmenpodcast at com. You can find us on Pippa. Ryan from the Take It Away podcast often says his podcast is powered by Pippa. I, you know, I, I, that might be a little strong of a term. Yeah, you know. so what I like to say is pip on down to Pippa, which is yeah. a little lighter and easier to remember. Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> uh, Pippa hosts our show. They're great. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, you may want to look into Pippa. As we say every week, podcasting is neither cheap nor easy, but but Pippa really helps make it a little bit of both. So thank you to the good people of Pippa. We soared past the uh, 50,000 download milestone for the Kaminsky family of podcasts, and we're only able to really see that number because of Pippa. In fact, two years we weren't on Pippa, we don't really know what those numbers were because there's, like, the pre-Pippa age and the post-Pippa age. Mm. So, Lord knows what our actual numbers are, but hey, Pippa's been great. And you can find us on YouTube. That's You can just search The Third Men on YouTube and we can find some visualizers that James does in, in addition to some other things there. And please... Rate, review and subscribe on iTunes we would really appreciate that uh, so yeah that would be great if you if you leave us a five star review with the word posers in there and let us know that you did it we'll send you some free stuff yeah and if you'd like to help support our show you can find our merch uh, on society 6 or bit.ly slash third men merch all one word obviously that's how the internet works. So if you'd like to help us out, uh, buy a cheese board. I might buy you some cheese and possibly get a T-shirt, a clock, a mug, a coin purse, perhaps. Uh, And to those of you who have bought stuff, thank you so much. You are helping power us uh, just as Pippa is. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank Sam Hubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song. We're the Third Man, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intro and outro of our program. And James, Mm. until next episode... I will be looking for a home on a horse on the range. Ah, and I will be looking for a home on a bed with a blanket that's not on me. So we'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye!
0: For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time!
1: We're the front men We're the front of- men
2: take our chances jelly bean yeah okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: it
2: um, begins
0: are you are please? you
2: going to switch my spur
1: will yeah. for the love of god <laughs> st- give me your boot
2: over the course of this pot over the course of this <laughs> she said brendan <laughs> Should we be having some waffles, perhaps? You, but you, well, you did guess it. <laughs> it's e- your opinion doesn't matter. I don't remember. <laughs> load, not load by Metallica. Although that that would be interesting. Uh, we also have. Uh, agreed uh, We also. Have, Sea watch. It's the watch that washed up from sea. <laughs> what? All Sus- is being haunted by <laughs> sea ghosts who are late to appointments. Susanna and I found a watch that had washed ashore on from the sea. The watch doesn't work except for that alarm and we always wonder what that what that fisherman or sea going person had had to do at Four o'clock in the afternoon. Time to catch fish again. Is something kind of romantic about the sea watch? (laughs) Anyway, it's it's guaranteed to have been inside the belly of a sea lion at some point. (laughs) I feel like I've been sick for like a month straight. I think I have been sick for about a month. You've been sick since we've started this podcast. (laughs)
0: Look, that's your uncle James. You look just like him.
2: She (laughs) five times today. I mean, live in the dream. (laughs) (laughs) I use this all the time. What are you talking about? Sign in. You sign in. The space between the wicked laws. I had that song stuck in my head today for no good reason. I think you think we are Jack White. We're not. I'm sorry. We're, we're not. The space between. <laughs> Man, looking like army ants. Oh, uh, Gil. Gil. Oh, Gil. Oh, Gil.